0: If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to open them to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And in just a moment, we're going to begin reading verse 16 together. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. On Sunday morning, we're in a sermon series through this letter. A letter sent by the great apostle Paul to a young pastor named Timothy. Timothy was struggling in the ministry. And Paul sought to educate him and to give him encouragement in the work that the Lord had set before him. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 is a word of education and it is a word of encouragement. But before we read it, I want you to look up here at me. How do you stand when the world around you is falling apart, falling down, and falling away. How do you stand? How do you stand when your personal world is falling apart, falling down, and likewise falling away before your very eyes? How do you stand? Well, today we're looking at how you stand. And the answer's simple. The B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. I will stand upon the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. And that's what Paul says to Timothy. That's not my ideal. It came straight from Paul. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 all Scripture, all Scripture, is given by inspiration of God. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction and in righteousness. Let me begin without stutter or stammer, hesitation or reservation, uncertainties or doubts, by declaring to you up front as we begin this message, That the Bible is the Word of God. It does not contain the Word of God as some teach. It is the Word of God. And let me declare this, it's the inspired Word of God. By inspired, I mean it is God breathed. God breathed His very words into the minds and into the hands, into the thought processes, into the actual writing of the Bible that we have in our hands through human authors. Let me say that again, God breathed, that's what inspiration is, God breathes, breathes what? His truth into the minds and into the hands of human authors that they might record that truth exactly as God wants it to be presented. When I say the Bible is inspired, there's really four implications to this truth, very quickly. Implication number one, if the Bible's inspired, and it is, is that every book in the Bible is inspired. Not some of the books, not most of the books, not a majority of the books. Not even Ivory Snow, 99 point something percent of the books, the entire Bible, all 66 books from Moses' writings in Genesis to John's writings in Revelation and everything in between, the entire Bible is inspired. It's God's truth as He breathed it into the minds and hearts of human authors. So get it down plain, straight, and strong. Every book in the Bible is inspired. All of it. Another implication of the fact that the Bible is inspired is that not only is every book in the Bible God breathed, every word in the Bible that's in every book of the Bible is God breathed. They're the exact words that God wanted used where they were put. They're exact, they're precise, they're crafted, and they're chosen by God to state His truths. So when we're talking about an inspired Bible, we're talking about all of the Bible being inspired, every book. We're also talking about every word of every book being inspired. Thirdly, we're talking about not only every book of the Bible inspired, not only every word of the Bible inspired, but we're talking about the fact if indeed the Bible is inspired, if it's God-breathed, if it originated with God himself, then the Bible is absolutely infallible and inerrant. Every book is infallible and inerrant. Every word is infallible and errant. There's no mistakes, there's no errors, there's no wrongs. The Bible is like its author. It's a perfect book from a perfect God. And then lastly, the fourth implication. If indeed the Bible is inspired, the scriptures of the Bible are inspired, is that that is the reason why Satan... And his sinister ministers, who unfortunately fill many churches and many seminaries today, try to do their best to discredit the Word of God, to deny the Bible. There are 66 books in the Bible, Satan attacks them all, but two books primarily. The first book he primarily attacks in the Bible is the book of Genesis. You see, the book of Genesis is important because it tells us how it all began. It tells us that we didn't come from the goo to the zoo to become you. It tells us that we are created. Everything and everyone is created by a creator God who has a plan and purpose for everyone. And yet Satan comes along and says the book of Genesis is just a bunch of mythology. It's fables. It's old wives' tales. You can't understand it. You can't accept it. It's just a comic book. And so he he uses his cronies to tell us to reject it. That's why many preachers don't preach out of the book of Genesis because they don't believe it. They bought into the lie of the devil. And then the second book he attacks is the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. If the book of Genesis tells us how it's all began and it began through a creative process, the book of Revelation tells us how it's all going to end. Now if you're gloomy, turn to Revelation 22 and get excited because what the book of Revelation tells us is we won. That victory in Jesus is not just a song, it's a reality, it's a truth. And that one day we're going to have that victory. Promised to us by the Lord Jesus, won for us by the Lord Jesus. So Satan attacks the book of Revelation. He sends out his cronies to tell us that you can't understand the book. It's a mystery book. The book of Genesis is a mythology book, reject it. The book of Revelation is a mystery book, you can't understand it. So don't study it, just leave it out of the Bible. He attacks those two books. You see, inspiration means that everything God put in that Bible is true, and it has a purpose. And so Satan seeks to undermine the Bible, attack the Bible, discredit the Bible. And sadly, he uses people outside the church to do it, and sometimes he uses inside people. Now, having said all of that, the Bible is the inspired word of God. Every book in the Bible is, every word in the Bible is. That the Bible is infallible, it's inerrant, it has no mistakes, no errors, no wrongs. And that Satan is out to undermine the Bible out to take a, discredit it, to take our minds and hearts away from it. Having said all of that, can I ask you a question now? Now, I'm not asking the person in front of you or behind you to your left or to your right. I'm asking you. And I'm asking you this question because it's an important question. Because remember, we talked about standing. When everything around you is falling and collapsing, just like our society and just like ourselves sometimes. This question is very pertinent. Do you, you, hold your finger up, point it at you, do you believe the Bible is the inspired word of God? Do you believe that in whole, in word, and in truth? Do you believe that? You see, your answer is largely going to determine Whether you are going to stand, whether you're going to stand tall and firm and strong in these days of collapse, or you are going to fold up and fall apart in these days of collapse. Because there's a lot of ignorance out there, there's a lot of fantasies, there's a lot of foolishness, there's a lot of deceptions. And only people who can stand on something that is real and sure are going to stand. So the Bible becomes a very important part of our life if we're going to stand and not fall apart and fall down and fall away. So I want to just give you three simple truths about the Bible that I hope will make you love the Bible more when you leave here. And want to live the Bible more when you leave here. What are the three simple truths? Truth number one, and all of these are simple. The Bible clearly claims to be the Word of God. You say, Pastor, why is that important? You've just been saying that. The Bible clearly claims to be the inspired Word of God. Not Pastor Norman Rogers, although he believes it. Not Pastor Jim Palmer, not Sam Knight, not Keith Wilson, not, a, not David Jeremiah, not Charles Stanley. The Bible makes that claim for itself. It doesn't need a man to toot its horn, the Bible toots its own horn. And the Bible clearly claims to be the inspired Word of God. It doesn't matter what we think. The Bible states this is what it is. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, Peter writes these words. Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man. This is not something man thought up. But holy men of God spoke. As they were moved. Now think about that. As they were moved. As they were carried. By the Holy Spirit. The Bible claims to be the word of God. Now. Did you you think when David wrote the Psalms, that he created them Psalms? You think David just sat down and said, ah, Eureka, I got it, just started writing? You think the Psalms came from David? You think Solomon invented the Proverbs? He was a wise man, probably the wisest man who ever lived. Sadly, he wasted his wisdom on foolishness for the most part of his life. But do you think Solomon just invented the Proverbs? Do you think Paul just thought up those letters that he sent that made up almost half the New Testament? you think Ezekiel just dreamed up the visions that God gave him for the folks of that day and the days to come? No. Everything that they thought, everything that they spoke, everything they put on the paper originated from God himself. He wrote the Bible, the Lord did, using human authors to be his mind, his mouthpiece, his handiwork, if you will. But it all came from him. Jeremiah chapter 1, 9 and 10 says it like this. This is the prophet speaking. He says, the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth, Jeremiah. And you speak those words. So when we read the Bible, it originated with God. And God transmitted that truth into the minds, into the mouths and into the hands of chosen men who would write all of this down and give us what we call our Bible today. Now, when God chose these men to do his bidding, he did not change their personality. See, many people think because God is the author of it, and it all came from God, that God just kind of dictated like a boss would dictate to a secretary. Sit down and let me tell you what to put out. No, God directed their thoughts. He directed their words, whether they were spoken or written. But God never took away their personality. You read the books in the Bible, there's 66 books. Every one of them have a distinctive personality that the author exhibits in writing the book. Paul didn't write like Peter. Peter didn't write like Paul. John didn't write like Paul or Peter. Luke didn't write like any of them. They all have a personality just like we do. And God retained that personality. He also retained their writing style. When you look at all 66 books in the Bible, you will see a distinctive style from author to author. You'll also notice that God didn't change their way of expressing themselves. We all have our idiosyncrasies when we talk, when we write. You laugh at me, I laugh at you. But we have them. And God didn't change their expressions. He didn't change their style. He didn't change their personality. He just guided it. I called attention when I read to you 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, just a moment ago, how Peter said the Spirit of God carried or moved holy men to write what they wrote. Now, I don't know how many of you are sailors. Do we have any sailors in here today? we got a couple. You served in the Navy, and thank you for your service. Do we got any sailboat people in here? When you leave here, you're going to go sailboating. Okay, we got a grand total of zero. Bunch of landlubbers in here, but that's okay. The word moved or carried is an interesting word. In the Greek, it's a nautical word. And what it would picture is a boat going across the water with a man at the helm behind the steering wheel, if you will. And the wind is blowing the boat. It's not being blown by human means. There's nobody on the oars. It's being blown by the wind. And all the captain of the boat has to do is steer it. The wind is providing the force. The man is providing the steering. Pay attention. When God shows these forces, 40 men to write the 66 books of the Bible. He put them behind the steering wheel. He said, You don't need to make any effort. Just steer the words as I give them to you. Steer them through your mouth, steer them through your hand, steer them spoken, steer them written. I will be the force that will direct those words into your mind, into your mouth, into your hand, and you just make sure they are steered to where I want them to go. So the Bible claims, the Bible claims to be the inspired word of God. Secondly, the Bible is credible in the matters of unity and accuracy. It's one thing to make a claim to be something, but then you've got to back it up with credibility, right? If I told you I was an astronaut and made that claim, you would expect one day I'm going to get on a spaceship and go into space, would you not? That would be my credibility. I go to Cape Canaveral, get on a spaceship, and up I go. And then I come back down. Some of you wish he'd just go up and not come back down. But the credibility is what makes the claim authentic. Now, think with me just a moment. The Bible was written by over 40 different authors. Okay? All the authors were chosen by God. God inspired all of the authors. But they all had different education levels. They all had different background experiences. They all had different occupational fields. And these 40 authors, as varied as you can be, eclectic as you can be, a smorgasbord of the human race, they wrote the Bible that you hold in your hand in a span of about 1,500 years. 1500 years it took to complete the Bible, written by 40 men, entirely different, some as night is today. And every one of them, if you look at the books that they wrote, 40 different men writing, over 1500 years of writing, every book in the Bible says the same thing in essence. Some of it is overt, some of it is subtle, some of it is said where you can plainly see it and hear it, sometimes it is said not so plainly. But every book in the Bible says man has one problem, sin. Man has one answer to his problem, salvation. There's one villain and his name is the devil. There's one hero, his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's one purpose involved in everything, and that's to bring glory to God. That's what Genesis says. That's what Exodus says. That's what Acts says. That's what the book of Revelation says. That's what all the Bible says. And they all say it differently. But the unity of the Bible is incredible. And think with me. The Bible not only shows its credibility and its unity when it makes the claim that it's the inspired Word of God, but it shows its credibility and its accuracy. The Bible has no mistakes. There are people who call themselves PhDs who spend their entire life reading the Bible not to hear what God says, but to try to find fault with it. We call them liberals. Liberal is just a fancy word for loss, by the way. But they try to discredit the Word of God by studying the Word of God and trying to find mistakes in it. They're always talking about technology and science. But listen, the Bible is not an astronomy book it's not a biological book, it's not a historical book, it's not a medical book. But when it speaks to those subjects, it's absolutely the truth. Even when science and technology disagree with it. Do you know that science, many, many years ago, a group of smart scientists got together and they said, through their study of the stars, they determined that there's 1,022 stars in the skies over our head. That's what they said. They published it in manuals. They were recognized. They were honored. They were rewarded. They would teach classes by taking their students outside and showing them the sky and say, Count the stars. One, two. And they came up with the fact that fact. There was 1,022 stars, no more. Now, if they were later proved to be wrong, but they wouldn't have had to embarrass themselves if they would have just read the Bible. Because the Bible, although it's not a book about astronomy, it has spoken to us about stars, and the Bible says the stars are uncountable. They're too innumerable to count. The the stars in the skies are in the billions. Yet they said there was only 1,022. So science got it wrong, Bible got it right. Bible won. science nothing. And then some biological people got together and they determined back in their day and put this into medical journals, biological journals, that if you're sick, your problem is you got bad blood and you need to get the bad blood out of you if you're gonna get well. So they opened up bleeding stations. That's where the barber pole came from. You know the red, white barber pole? That used to be a bleeding station. You'd go in and get your hair cut and they'd bleed you. They'd just cut you and let you bleed. They were bleeding out the bad blood because if you get the bad blood out, then you'll get well. Now, you say, Pastor, how did they know which was bad or good? I don't know. George Washington did that. Do You know, he died of a bleeding. But that's what they taught. The blood is bad. That's why you're sick. Get the bad blood out. You'll be well. If they would have read their Bibles, they would have knew that that was not correct. Because the Bible clearly says, though it's not a biological book, the Bible clearly teaches that the life of the flesh is found in the blood. So instead of bleeding somebody, you need to give them a transfusion. They don't need less blood. They need more blood sometimes. Or fortified blood. Geritol, maybe. Bible, two, Science, zero. But then some historians got together. And they read the Bible, and they determined that there was no King Belshazzar. Belshazzar, there was no King Belshazzar, that he was just a comic book character like Batman or Superman, invented by the writers of the Bible, and that he was never the last king of Babylon. These historians wrote books, said the Bible got it wrong, but archaeologists started doing some investigative work, and guess what they discovered? In their writings, there was a king, Belshazzar. Indeed, he was the last king of Babylon. And it was true that he did see the writing on the wall that told him his kingdom was coming to an end. It wasn't comic book. It was true, but they would have known it if they would have believed the Bible. And then... So what, what's the score now? Are you keeping up? Bible, three. Science. Historians. Astronomers, zero. And then the last one I'll just throw out is, is a medical. Do you know when the bubonic plague was going through Europe, it was a pandemic of uh, its day? Do you know that the cure according to people who tried to find a cure for such, the cure for the bubonic plague might be found in flowers. And they touted that if you put a ring of roses around your neck or filled your pocket with posies, the bubonic plague wouldn't jump on you. And if it did, it would jump off limping. That's where that little nursery rhyme came from that our boys and girls sing, and they don't even know what they're singing. Ring around the roses, pocket full of poses, ashes to ashes, we all get well. We all what? Fall down. Because flowers can't save you from a plague. But if they would have read their Bibles, they would have known there was something that could have contained that plague and lessened the fatalities and got rid of it a whole lot quicker. You know, the Bible talks about how, what to do with plagues. It talks about being clean and quarantining. That's what it says. If you got a plague, you try to clean up your surroundings, you keep yourself clean, and what else do you do? You quarantine, you, you have a camp where people can go until the, the effects of the disease wears off and they can come out. See, the Bible says all of that, but to those who are trying to prove the Bible wrong, I don't guess it matters, does it? So, the Bible claims to be the Word of God. The Bible makes that claim based on two credible things. The unity found in all of the books of the Bible and authors of the Bible and the accuracy of the Bible. The Bible is not an astronomical book, biological book, historical book, or medical book. But when it speaks, listen to your pastor, when it speaks to those subjects, it's always right. And science is wrong. And lastly, the Bible is certain in its prophecies. It claims to be the inspired word of God because it is. It shows the credibility of that claim through unity and accuracy. And we can be certain, if we're not certain already, we can be certain based solely on the prophecies of the Bible. The Bible is certain in all of its prophecies. Do you know over a period of 1,100 years, over 500 prophecies were made about the first coming of Jesus Christ? Over 500 prophecies some of them thousands of years prior to the coming of Jesus, were made concerning his place of birth, his manner of birth, his family of birth, his scope of ministry, his uh, uh, nature of death, his miraculous resurrection. Men sit down and said, this is what God's told us, and they wrote it down. Over 500 predictions... The chance of just getting eight of those 500 right, eight, not 500 of them, the chances of just getting eight of those 500, any eight you choose, according to a mathematician, was one in a hundred quadrillion. You say, Pastor, what's a quadrillion? It's a lot. One in 100 quadrillion is the chances of getting eight prophecies about the coming of Jesus out of 500 it was given, right? And yet I stand before you right now and tell you all 500 of them came to pass. They weren't ambiguous. They weren't generalized. They were specific proper, uh, prophecies fulfilled to the letter. Nostradamus couldn't do that. Gene Dixon couldn't do that. There's no prophet alive that's ever come near anywhere near that. But God knows the past, the present, and the future. You know, the prophecies that tell us about the coming of Jesus the first time, there's also prophecies that are telling us about the coming of Jesus the second time. I make no apology to tell you I believe we're the last generation. I believe some of us looking at me right now and me looking at you, I think some of us are not going to die. We are going to leave this world not by undertaker but by uppertaker. We're going to go to be with Jesus. Jesus. I believe that because of the prophetic signs that are flashing before our eyes that no other generation has ever seen. And these prophecies were given by the prophets of old, the apostles of new, and Jesus himself. These were not given last week. These were given hundreds and thousands of years ago. What are some of those predictions that that these Men said what happen in the final days of history, and people who see these things ought to get ready because Jesus is coming soon. You know the Bible said the world would be divided into four alliances in the last days? The nations of the world will split off into one of four groups. There'll be a northern alliance of nations led by Russia. There'll be a southern alliance of nations led by Iran. And the northern coalition of nations led by Russia and the southern coalitions of nations led by Iran will actually join together in the last days of history. So if you think Russia and Iran cozying up together is accidental, no, it's fundamental. The Bible said it would happen. An atheistic communist nation and a pagan religious nation coming together because they have something in common. They want to destroy the Jewish race and exterminate the nation of Israel. The Bible also says there will be an eastern power in the last days and a coalition of nations will follow that eastern power and that this eastern power would be able to go to war and they will go to war and they'll be able to field an army of 200 million men when they go to war. What nation in our world has that kind of people to do that? China, is it just an an accident that China is militant, bent on global world dominance? No. And then there would be a Western coalition of nations that would be weak and inept. And they would need a leader to bring them together, and Satan, Superman, the Antichrist, will be that leader. You see, these, these prophets predicted this. These nations weren't even in existence in their day. The prophets foretold there would be a moral and spiritual collapse in the world in the last days. A moral, spiritual collapse out there and in here. The prophets of old said in the final days there will be violence and terrorism and war without end. Death will be everywhere. There will be man-made plagues and natural disasters occurring one after another, after another, after another. A new world order is coming, said the prophets. A new world order with a new world dictator who will consolidate the world under one government, one banking system, and one church or religious system. And he will mandate, mandate, you will listen and do what he says. Or you will be denied opportunity or even put to death. And all of this was predicted. You say, Pastor, you're a pretty smart guy figuring that out. I didn't figure it out. It's in the book. Just read the Bible, and the Bible tells us about the first coming of Jesus and about the second coming. Now, I'll close by asking you the question I began with. Do you believe? Do you believe the Bible is the inspired Word of God? Do you believe all of it is, every word of it is, and the truth of it is, inerrant and infallible? Do you understand the claims the Bible's made for itself? The credibility that the Bible gives to enforce those claims, and the certainty of prophecy that tells us that only God could know this stuff. There's no man who could dream this stuff up. Only God knows the future, and He reveals it to us, our earthly and eternal future. So as we are now going through difficult days, believe in the Bible and trust in Jesus, and you will stand when everything else is not standing. Believe in the Bible. It's the the written Word of God. Trust in Jesus. He's the living word of God. And when you stand on them and with them, no matter what goes on around you or in you, you'll be fine. It'll be well with your soul. Many times people will ask me the question that if you're in the ministry any length of time, you'll get asked, what Bible translation is the best? There's only 9,218 translations out there. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but there's a lot of translations out there. Which translation's the best? I know we have some traditional people that love the King James Version, they like the poeticness of it, and though it's hard to understand in places, they just like the King James and they, that's the Bible they use. Other people like the New King James. It kind of polishes up the language a little bit, so those spots that are hard to understand are a little bit more easier. Other people like the NIV, the New International Version. Other people like the New American Standard Version. Many people like this, many people like that, and some people will get hot about if the translation if it's not theirs you're using. And by the way, some of you say, Pastor, what do you use? The Jim Palmer Amplified Version. (laughs) But listen to me. Whatever translation you use, why don't you just make it the Nike translation? You know, you've heard of that translation, haven't you? The NIKE? It's the Just Do It Translation. What difference does the translation make if you don't live what you got? All of you said you believe the Bible to be true. Are you living out your life according to the Bible which you say is true? Because the people who are most dogmatic about their translation generally are the ones who don't live it out very well. Just do what the Bible says that you have. Just do it. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.